Welcome back to Rogue Fun, a podcast story. The podcast all about Rogue One. I'm Alice White, and with me today is a very, very special guest. One of my dear friends, a writer, a podcast host, a Star Wars fan, and basically the coolest person on the internet. Please welcome my very good friend, Arzu. Hello. I'm blushing after that intro. (laughs) (laughs) So happy to have you. Arzu, how are you? I'm good. I am excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about this episode. Yes, I'm so, so glad that you're here to talk about this one. This one was a bit of a doozy. Um, But before we get into the episode, uh, this is, of course, the podcast all about Rogue One. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got to first ask you some questions about Rogue One. Let's do it. Um, Tell me about the first time you watched Rogue One. So first time I watched Rogue One was, you know, in theaters right when it came out. I actually saw it twice. So I saw it the first time with my cousins. Um, We had all gone to see The Force Awakens together. It was the first time they were old enough to watch Star Wars in the theater with my brother and I. So we took all of them to The Force Awakens. And then we took them all to Rogue One as well. Now with one more cousin who was finally old enough to come with us. It was like a whole family affair. It was a great time. Um, Two days later, Carrie Fisher passed away. And then two days after that, I went to see Rogue One again, this time with my parents. And the experience between the two was so wildly different before and after Carrie that that's always what sticks in my mind is like the the coolness and the action and the awesomeness of the first one and then the the devastation made more devastating the second time around because suddenly like it wasn't pretend loss anymore we were facing like real loss at the same time so that's that's always what what I remember about watching Rogue One in the theater yeah that was a tough one yeah, you um of the I think five guests, five or six guests that I've had on this show so far since uh Andor started, um every single every single person talking about their first time watching Rogue One has brought up Carrie Fisher um as like being such a, an important and like impactful part of people's like viewing experience um of this movie. And uh, I think we'll we'll uh, we'll have to spend more time with that sometime on another episode. Um yeah. Because that that seems to be everybody's like big memory of um, of their first time watching Rogue One. Um, I'm sorry, I'm like repeating <laughs> no. what everybody else is. Oh saying. no 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 no! It's it's really interesting because that's like it's really important, and she was such like an important figure to all of us, and such an important like role model for so many of us that losing her right around the same time that this movie came out, it made the whole movie so much more impactful mm-hmm. to so many people. Um, what were your first impressions of, of the movie? Did you like it right away? Did you need time to warm up to it? I liked it right away. Um, I think it surprised me because I knew it was a separate story and we weren't calling it the Skywalker saga yet, but I knew it was separate from the Skywalker saga. So, and I had seen Clone Wars at this point, but even that is so closely tied to like Anakin and all that, that that still feels like a part of it. So this was the first time that I was like experiencing a Star Wars story totally removed from that i mean leia does pop up at the end and we have like bill organa and we've got mon mothma like the connections are there but not having read the eu growing up and i wasn't reading the canon books at the time so this really was the first time i experienced like a story in the galaxy far far away that had nothing to do with like luke skywalker and his family right so I think it was like one of those things where you're like realizing what a Star Wars story could be mm-hmm. removed from all that. And I think like I, I liked it right away. 
for that. It was obviously devastating at the end because you spend like two hours getting super attached to this crew. And then suddenly they're not there anymore. Yeah. And it like it was also like a full circle moment for my 14 year old self because when I was like 14, I was obsessed with two things. Revenge of the Sith, which was coming out and uh, Diego Luna in Dirty Dancing, too. Oh, so yes. <laughs> these two things were just coexisting in my head. So they the marriage of the two was in Rogue One, which was very nice for my 14 year old self. I love that. I love that people actually don't talk about Dirty Dancing Havana Nights basically ever i hear nobody talk about that movie they should it's they so should. good <laughs> they should they should talk about it uh, diego luna bursting onto the scene in this fully fabulous movie <laughs> it's just it's so silly but it's so it's so lovely it's like really trying to tell an earnest story so oh yeah it's a comfort watch for sure it's yeah. uh n- not serious cinema but definitely like I need something like this tonight. <laughs> yes. So Rogue One has been like really important to a lot of people um, for its um, for its diversity and for its like diversity in storytelling and mm-hmm. how it kind of shaped like a new era of Star Wars um, kind of changed the landscape of what we're looking at as far as like who's in Star Wars and and like who can be part of star Wars. And um, I wanted to know, um, did Rogue One have any like special meaning or effect for you watching it? Did it um, did like Rogue One coming out and seeing all of the beautiful faces and, and the, the diversity and everything um, did that like change how you interacted with star Wars? Did that like affect how your fandom and your Star Wars fandom like manifested from um, from like then on? Not immediately, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Like I, like in the immediate moment, I was like, "This is super cool" because it didn't occur to me till like you look back that yeah, the sort of diversity of who's in a Star War wasn't super broad until Rogue One, and then that's sort of where it began to take off. But post Rogue One, I think it sort of really made it clear that everybody has a place in this story and it kind of made me less inclined to brush it aside and be like, well, it's fine. It's just star Wars. I'm like, no, this is clearly you can do it. So this is the standard to which I'm now holding this story. of like really making sure that like everybody has a place here. Everybody needs to be seen here because especially with the kind of conflict they're depicting everybody's culture, everybody's home, everybody's origin has experience with this kind of conflict. It feels like a very broad sentiment to make, but I don't think it's untrue. So I'm like, if you're going to tell the story about people rising up against colonizing, against, you know, an oppressive government, against whatever, like you, the faces telling that story should reflect the faces living that story, like here and now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Rogue One does that very well. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's such like an, an interesting sticking point for a lot of people. And they look back at Rogue One and especially like the year it was coming out and what we were kind of all mm-hmm. um, facing. 2016 was like a huge, um, like pivotal time in a lot of people's lives. And a lot of things were changing a lot that year. And Rogue One comes around and just kind of sets down the fight is about the fight the cause is is about standing up and doing what's right about fighting against oppression 
no matter who's standing in your way because Mm -hmm. because getting over your apathy and moving past your like hesitations about you know oh I'm not really into politics or I never have the luxury of political opinions like no longer applies anymore yeah because it's you know look at look at all of these faces and look at the world around us like we're here to you know yeah to fight to keep going um and that's something that that is always really like really felt good about about Rogue One um uh is there anything about about Rogue One like looking back now or anything that you do now with your you are very involved now in the Star Wars community um you host podcasts you write you you know you feature all over the place you were on a panel at Star Wars Celebration (laughs) which I should have mentioned like from the beginning you had an absolutely (laughs) fabulous panel at Star Wars Celebration um that one was about Rey specifically of course who is not in Rogue One but um but we're talking about Rogue One. That's the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, does Rogue One come up like in your fandom now at at all? Does it bring you closer to Star Wars or like what is it? What does it speak to you looking back or, you know, sp- speak on that? So I think the way it sort of informed my fandom was more in the early days. Like it's still there now. Obviously, we're all talking Andor. We're enjoying Andor. Every time I marathon Star Wars, like Rogue One is in there. But in the like early days, kind of like what I was saying before about this being the first time I had like experienced a non Skywalker Star Wars story, like Rogue One sort of set the tone for like, this is what these stories can be like, they can be they can expand the world, they can expand the politics, they can bring in whole new characters that you're going to see now and never again. Or well, I guess that became untrue when Andor came out. But (laughs) it's sort of like, it sort of set the tone for like my my desire to branch out into canon like the catalyst that got me there was a little different but rogue one like planted the seed you know what i mean of like there's so much more story to tell there are so many different faces so many different experiences in this galaxy that kind of branch out past the skywalkers and like this is how good it can be this is what these can be so so that's i guess how it how it influenced my fandom then and then now with with Andor specifically, like not not Rogue One exactly, but like with Andor, mm-hmm. it feels, and I mean this in the best, like most affectionate, positive way, feels so much like a Star Wars book that I'm almost like, what if we had a novelization when all this was over? Ooh, I like, would love that. I know we don't do novelizations of the shows, but what what if? I feel this, like if it, let's make an exception for this one. Yeah, I feel like if they were to do a novelization for any of them, it would have to be this one. Because it would so benefit from it. It's so rich. There is so much going on. There's so many points of view. Like, so many, I guess, plot points and, like, characters' points of view and, like, their mentalities that could benefit from being expanded in that way. Not that they're not sufficiently expanded here, but that it would just, it would just hit so good. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be amazing. I would love that. I'd read that in a heartbeat. And so speaking of Andor, let's talk about the episode. Let's do it. Um, This was episode seven. And so much happened in this episode that I don't even know, like, where to begin. (laughs) This was, like, a a totally, like, packed episode with so much dialogue and intrigue and and political political movements and so many so many things from the trailer that made it into this episode um that makes me think like 
what could they possibly still have to show us in, in the remaining parts of the season? We've seen all the trailer stuff now, I think. I like, believe so. I think that's it. Um, and so now we just have now, you know, we just we're going in blind for the rest of it. But we're talking about episode seven. Yes. Uh, what did you think of the episode? I loved it. This is sort of what I thought the whole show was going to be. It was this very like dialogue heavy political intrigue, like power players on Coruscant and in the rebellion. And like, you know, so it surprised me like when we're like, oh, we're going on an actual heist. I'm like, it's not a bad thing, but that wasn't what I had, where I had thought we were going with this. But so this is like what I was ready for. And we are eating so good with this episode. <laughs> like, because I feel like with a lot of with a lot of heists, not just in Star Wars, but in general, the heist happens. We talk about it for five minutes and we're on to the next mission. But this is 50 minutes of the entire galaxy processing Aldani, decompressing, figuring out their next move on every side of this conflict, on the political, on the imperial, on the on the rebel side. It's such a multifaceted approach to like a debriefing that it was just, I had to like rewind entire segments to like fully process what was going on because it is dense, but in such a good way. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And um, just watching the, the enormous fallout from mm -hmm. one robbery, from one attack that this must be like, I know, I know this takes place five years before Rogue One, five years before the Battle of Scare, five years before the uh end of rebels um we're where we're still in like tiny little rebel cells just individually bombing you know individual little you know checkpoints and garrisons and stuff like that ezra's running around trying to you know steal credits to feed himself on the streets you know like we're not we're not in full rebel mode yeah. yeah we we don't have the phoenix squadron yet we don't have um general sato like leading leaning home one through you know we're not we're not there yet right. um we have just like a couple of people we have groups like our like our rebels from last episode just doing little itty bitty things but this one was really big this one was big enough that it caused the empire to act which makes me think it's got to be like the earliest high profile attack on the empire if the if their backlash was to crack down this hard on one event it has to have been like one of the earliest ones like dedra i think is um is going to prove that there were other you know organized mm -hmm. attacks but the fact that they that this is the first time the empire is choosing to like punish other systems for what happened on aldani makes me think this has got to be like the first one yeah. Um and and Mon Mothma's shock at it too indicates to me that this is like the first time that something of this scale has ever been attempted by the rebels. Um I think and it's all been like little steps up to this point like small enough that the local governor can brush it away, the local system can brush it away, but this was so big. It's like it it went viral basically yeah. what they did. Yeah. Yeah, and they stole 80 million credits, right? And that's all going straight back into the rebellion. Mm -hmm. um for and so this is their first like big influx of cash too i think this is like i mean like with this amount of money vel and and her little cell could do amazing amount of good for people and also cause a whole lot more harm if they want to yeah um and we're seeing this fallout 
throughout Coruscant on Ferrix on every on every system. It's pretty cool. It oh yeah, I like I loved watching the Fallout as bad as that sounds because every single person is nervous except Luthen. Even though he he looks a little nervous, but he's like clearly trying to hide it. But the fact that this is such a we're calling it a victory. We're like 80 million credits. That's not insubstantial. The rebellion is getting more and more funded, but every single power player on every side of this conflict is terrified. Right. And I yes. think that that again goes to speak to the scale of like now it's real. Now they are in it. Right. Right. And my mama's super upset. And it took me a second to figure out to, I guess, to, not to figure out why I know why she's upset. Um, but it really is. Um, so true to her character to be like really angry about this like she knows whose side Luthen's on she knows yeah. she's been working with Luthen to try to you know foment insurrection within the empire but she doesn't Amon Mothma has always been and will continue to be in canon um, up until basically up until Return of the Jedi completely unwilling to actually do anything yeah. no action to be taken no lives to be taken nobody put in danger um and so this very first huge act that she can actually pinpoint to she knows who did it and for why um makes like stresses her out so bad and that's like so so true to her character and so important i think for her character to um to have to have this moment of almost of like doubt almost where she's worried that it um that is going too far. And we're going to see her in the future uh, in Rebels, especially fight with Saw Gerrera on that exact same point. Like, mm -hmm. you're going too far. This is too much. I like that she's aware, too, of kind of of her reputation. And I don't think she sees a problem with it. But like, we obviously know because we've got the we've got the next 40 years laid out for us. Like, we know that this is going to be a thing with her for the next decade, at least. But when she's telling her friend, whose name I want to say is Tall, but I don't think that's right. Tay. His name's Tay. Um, when she's telling her friend, Tay, she's like, I know what they say about me. I'm like the the senator who's like sometimes hesitant, whatever. She's aware of this reputation she's developed for herself. But I think that makes it then interesting that she's like, yeah, I know I'm hesitant, but she doesn't see a problem with it. I guess in the long run, even though she seems... Um, she seems to be trying to convey that this is all a bit, but we know better. We know that this is who she's going to be for the next decade. Yeah. Yeah. That conversation with Tay was really, really interesting. And I guess we can we can jump in here. Like I said, we're I don't even know where to start talking about this episode. Just, we, we'll go we'll go into into some detail here. Cause this I think was like the real meat of the episode was mm -hmm. this was this dinner party. But it's not a dinner party anymore, is it? Um mm -hmm. It's a like a cocktail party. It's a stand around and chat and drink and and make secret deals and on plot. couches and plotting party. Because um, you know the other guys were plotting too. Mm -hmm. There's that was not the only political plotting conversation happening in that room. Every time, every time that she told Tay to smile in that conversation, I was laughing my butt off because I couldn't. She was trying so hard. She was like, like. We need to have this conversation and I need you to understand 
what I'm saying to you. Smile. Here we go. Here we, we're still having this conversation. Look at me in the eye. Smile. Yes, we're just having friends. We're just friends. School chums. <laughs> Smile. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I like the taste. Like, I don't follow. I'm like, I don't know how you don't follow. Yeah, I, I said that same thing right after the episode ended. I said it to my husband. I was like, how is he? Is he playing with her? Or is he like, what is he? Like, how is he not picking up what she's putting down? And yeah, and Ben was like, I think it's just that he's really nervous um, to to acknowledge what he's what he's been doing um, and thinks that it might be a trap mm-hmm. um, right up until Mon Mothma says my husband can't be trusted. I think that's like he's he he is hearing what she's saying, but doesn't. I, I and I don't know if I trust him though. That's the I thing. I don't like he the way he was talking. I think we're meant to think that he's talking to Sagarera. Yeah, he's going. You know, I'm in with people. My politics would shock you. Like basically saying that he's gone like further over than she has. So we're yeah. supposed to think he's talking to Sagarera. Either that's exactly where it's going to pay off, or it's it's like worse than we thought. But yeah. I think either he's telling the truth, either he his politics have indeed gone further than Mon Mothma would expect of him, um, and he's talking to Sagarera, or 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 talking to someone who's talking to Sagarera, um, or he was he was saying, "Oh yeah, my politics have gone so far," and then she's like, "Yeah, me too. I'm in the rebellion," and he's like, "Oh no, not that far." <laughs> like <laughs> oh no i was just talking about like occasionally like stealing money from you know from the government or whatever you know like i think something about the way he was reacting made me think that he's more into like petty crimes or like little tiny acts of rebellion and has no idea or intention of joining like a real rebellion i almost think maybe he's playing he's playing both sides like he's engaging with the rebels where it's convenient he's engaging with the like with the empire with the imperials where it's Mm -hmm. convenient because i can't remember if this was clone wars thing where like the banking clan was a little bit in between because they was just whoever suited yeah their finances and they kept saying like he's a banking family so i'm like okay so he goes where the money is so he's like the the rebels need money they don't have money so i feel like he's i feel like he's kind of dancing between the two so maybe his confusion at her like don't be suspicious act was was like faked because he because he is sort of has more to be suspicious about than she does. Yeah, maybe. Oh, sense. yeah, maybe that's entirely possible. He doesn't. He doesn't seem like he's on the up and up. Um, no, he seemed a little too handsome in a dumb way. I don't want to call mm-hmm. him a him. I don't want to call him a himbo because that's not who he is. But like, he's handsome and good looking, and maybe not as smart as he thinks he is. That's yeah, like the impression I was getting from him. He he relies a little too much on his looks and his charm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I'm excited to see where else, where else you know we go with him because. He is interesting and like a childhood buddy of Mon Mothma's could be like a really interesting hook. I'm very invested in her whole, uh, her whole personal drama. Let's stay on Coruscant a little bit longer. Um, I want to talk, I want to talk about Cyril. I want to talk about (laughs) Cyril Karn. 
Uh, because we haven't seen Cyril Karn in a minute. It's been like no. a couple episodes since we spent any significant time with him. And he is just having a time. <laughs> not, he's not having a good time with his with his cereal and his tailoring and <laughs> the poor you almost feel bad for him. He's just like, yeah, I want to be a good employee and uphold the law. I want to have my suits tailored the way I like them. And please just let me eat my let me eat my Cheerios and <laughs> like have my mom stop yelling at me. That would be really cool if those things could happen. He is such a like quintessential product of like an overbearing parent. Oh god, I know. Like that borderline of I need to assert my independence in the worst way possible, like just by lashing out in the wrong direction, but also this kind of petulant rebelliousness that he's just way too old for. Oh yeah. It's just it's so perfect. Oh yeah. He's he's doing a really good job. Um I am extremely into that performance and that like that whole storyline he's i can't help but feel sorry for him i'm not i'm not not rooting for him you know you know what yeah. i mean like like of course i don't want him to win over cassian but i also know he's not going to win over cassian we know rogue one we know rogue one is yeah. gonna happen Cassian's fine, fine right so we like might part as of well me, root for him part of me is rooting for, for cyril to come around and and like I need him to do the um, the like classic cop movie, like he turns in his gun and badge and now is going to go off on his own to go catch Cassian. Like if he gets win or like somewhere in his little computer database, he starts looking for like Cassian, you know, oh, maybe Cassian's out there under a fake name and finds out where he is and he's going to go get him and bring him to justice all on his own or something like that. I want the two of them to face off for real. Um, I think since it's, it's been, going to happen. It's got to happen. And like I wanted the way to he was watching so the news, that look on his face, like he's already putting it together. Yeah. How, did, yeah, how does he know that was Cassian? He's like, I know he's generally a, an, an Empire fan and doesn't want the rebels to score any victories over the Empire. But something about that look on the news when he was watching the news was like, vi- like he was taking it very personally. Mm-hmm. And he somehow like knows Cassian's in on it. I don't know how he knows, but I kept thinking he's going to go, like, pull out his little, like, pocket disc with the picture of Cassian's face. Like, I kept thinking he was going to do that. And I'm like, well, no, why would he? But because he doesn't know. But something about the look on his face, I'm like, maybe he does. He's he's suspicious. Yeah, he's suspicious for sure. Um, And, yeah, every time when he has the little pocket disc with Cassian's face on it and just stares at it menacingly, I just... Oh, I fall in love with him a little bit more. <laughs> He's a Rogue One fan with a little Diego Luna picture. <laughs> it's me. He's me. It's so relatable. And yeah, and then sitting there trying to eat your cereal while your mom is trying to tell you that your first day of school outfit isn't appropriate. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's with that collar? <laughs> like, oh my God, mom, chill. It's what all the cool kids are wearing these days. That's that's telling him he can't be an individual while he goes to school. <laughs> he needs to fit in with the other kids. You need to fit in with the other kids. You can't dress like that. Your collar is too high. Meanwhile, like everybody's collars are high. I don't know what she's talking about. But... I, I certainly didn't notice, but uh, like the imperial, like the uniform collars are all set super high, and like 
he's clearly dressing for the job he wants, not the job he has. His mom doesn't see that. His mom's like, you have no ambition. And then he shows up all ambitiously with his tailored collar. And she's like, not like that. Not like that. I don't approve. Not my, not your way, my way. I was like, <laughs> Jesus. Talk about relatable. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, yeah, I can't wait to see more from, from Cyril and from Cyril's awful mother. <laughs> I'm a little bit obsessed with how overbearing she is and her <laughs> constant referral to, I can't remember his name. Uncle Harlow. Uncle- Harlow. I keep wanting to say Hondo. I'm like, that's not it. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't that be cool if it was though? One extra cool time. Like, my dear nephew Cyril, like, that's it. Game over. (laughs) Um, No, but like Uncle Harlow, who is so suspicious. I'm like, that's obviously not his name. Right. I have a conspiracy theory about this, but. Ooh. Like, what what kind of conspiracy theory? Who do you think it is? I don't trust Luthen 100%. So I'm like, what if Luthen is Uncle Harlow? Ooh. It seems like he's got his, his, like, this occurs to me, like, today while watching it. Because initially I was like, Uncle Harlow's like a computer. He's not a person. And then watching this, like, something about Luthen's face when Mon Mothma came and, like, during all that stuff. I'm like, I don't know about this guy. So I'm like, what if he's kind of playing all over, too? So Luthen is Uncle Harlow interesting that's a new one i haven't heard yet i like that i guess we'll find out it's gonna pan out but (laughs) that's my tinfoil hat theory for this week um speaking of luthan and his um and his little group over there uh we got to spend some time with uh with clea this episode um and clea is luthan's little assistant who i thought was just a little assistant at first but she is showing more and more initiative more and more like like she has control over some of this situation um you know she's telling him she's telling luthan what to do sometimes and i thought she was just running errands for him and stuff but then she steps out in that outfit which okay um if they start selling that coat at galaxy's edge i will be buying i'm buying it immediately yeah what a gorgeous coat the coat the boots the strut the center part with the widow's peak and the I just wow what a look and the I don't care expression yes everything about that everything Ooh, about that that was a killer that was so killer that I could have watched ten more minutes of her just strutting around the streets of Coruscant like <laughs> getting from point A to point B show me in real time how long it takes for her to walk from Luthen's to wherever she met up with Vel because I'll yes, watch please. it I'll just watch the whole thing. It was so cool. And then Vel was all dressed up looking beautiful. Yeah. And she, yeah. And they just looked so nice standing there. But they were talking about awful things. Because mm-hmm. Luthen told Clea to tell Vel to kill Cassian. Which, yeah. This is why I don't trust Luthen. Yeah. And I, like, because if Cassian was, like, in the rebellion and he was like a part of their whole deal and he just had to steal their money and take off yeah i would I'd get luthan being like now we gotta take him out clearly he's sure. a loose cannon but he told cassian one job money you can walk he did mm-hmm. the job he took his money he walked and he's like well he knows too much we have to kill him and i get what clay is saying about like what she say like welcome to rebellion this is rebellion she said yeah, something so like that him- yeah, some about sacrifices for, yeah. for the rebellion. Yeah. Like something to that effect. So I get what they're saying, but at the same time, that is not a way to sustain a network. It 
is absolutely not a way to sustain it. It doesn't make sense to me because Luthen's whole speech at the beginning was not was not like, oh, yeah, I need you, Cassian, just for your specific skill sets. Come do this. But he said, I need you, Cassian, because you're going to help me really fight these guys. We're really going to take on the, the, you know, the empire. We're going to stand up and for a cause or whatever. And Cassian's like, no, I don't know. I don't know about that. But Luthen seemed to, at least from, from that moment, really believe that Cassian was like meant for the rebellion. And now they're like, oh, well, he didn't immediately join the rebellion, so we should kill him? Like, that doesn't make any sense. I I don't know. Like, unless Luthen's whole thing about you're going to help us stop them was, was purely you're going to get us the funds to do it. And then we can I do guess. the rest without you. But did we, Oof. now I'm not remembering this, did we see Luthen tell Clea to go? I don't remember like i don't I feel know because like Clea sneaking off to the back to listen to mon mothma and being like i hope she's worth it and all that makes me think that Clea is almost operating on her own sort of agenda yeah she the does person- say like who she she said i recruited Terraman myself right like she's like yeah. part of it but that um, almost makes me wonder if she decided cassian needs to go that cassian had to go and that is that luthan yeah luthan actually wants cassian to stay yeah, like, I mean, or, or Lucen's just perfectly happy to let Cassian leave. But, like, maybe Clea, like, for all that we take her for granted as, like, the shop assistant, might be more intense than Luthen is. Like, maybe she's a she's about to become a partisan, or she is a partisan, like, with Sagrera. And she's like, right. well, he didn't join the cause, and he knows too much. Kill him. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the theory that, that I've heard about Clea possibly being Cassian's sister is, to me becoming stronger and stronger with time have you heard that one i i heard you say it but um yeah so the i like it i like it as a theory right so i don't remember who brought it up i think i can't remember if it was hope or candace um somebody like early on in the show brought up like what if clay is cassian's sister um you know yeah the age makes sense the you know her the only, and then I talked about this with um, Katrina last week, and Katrina said that she she's not she's not played by um, by a Latina actress, so it doesn't like really make sense. Oh, like okay, we we don't enough. we don't think that they would do that, especially since Diego Luna's executive producing. Like he would he would be like, no, we should have you know a Latina actress playing my sister, but it makes sense. To me, that a young girl who was left behind by her brother on um, Kalani and who um, narrowly escaped, and as Marva says, like nobody survived Kalani, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who's gone through absolute hell, including working in a brothel, who um, it makes sense to me that if she found her way to the rebellion and found herself like as a shop girl in a, you know, a very fancy antique store like this and and secretly working for the rebellion makes sense to me that she would be harder than cassian that she has less compassion less empathy um that she's willing to also willing to kill but for the cause right um the that like this version of clea that we're meeting here makes sense to me as somebody who might have had the background of cassian's sister that cassian's sister would have i don't know if it's true 
but to me it the more episodes pass the more i the more i see it i would even if she's not cassian's sister it would be interesting if she was like just another canary kid yeah yeah like, she could have been the any- link to the sister that's true she could have been any of those kids yeah. She could have known Cassian's sister. Maybe Cassian's sister is dead, like Marva said. And um, and maybe, but maybe they were, the two of them were running together for a time. And then, you know, maybe she lost her too. And yeah. that's why, that's why Clay is so hard and has no, no compassion for Cassian. She lost her. She blames Cassian in part because, you know, grief does that. Your blame gets misplaced. Mm-hmm. So even if she's not, Cassian's sister maybe she does know him from from that long ago yeah it would it would make sense to me speaking of um marva (laughs) i really i really liked marva in this episode i really liked the like old last stand old lady last stand moment that Mm -hmm. she that she has and i knew she wasn't gonna go you ever you know yeah Cassian comes in, is like, we're gonna go, it's gonna be great. She's like, and she's okay. like, okay. Um, but the like the fact that the attack on Aldani, unknowingly to her, done by Cassian himself, is something that inspires her to be like, Yeah, if other people can do it, I can too. I can help. I really I can... wanted him to tell her that he I was did there. too. Why didn't he? I don't know. Maybe like one of those, the less you know, the better kind of thing. But yeah, I guess so. And that that she she went like, oh, my God, it's the rebellion. It makes me want to stay and fight and stuff that he's like, he doesn't want to be like, yeah, well, I did that. Wasn't Uh, always cracked up to be. Let's go. (laughs) And then she would be like, you did it. You're part of the rebellion, too. Yay. Let's fight together. You know, he wants to try and discourage her from. Yeah. From it. But it doesn't work because she's like. A strong, powerful, independent woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think too. I her story about like walking through the the square where they had hung her husband, um, and walking through there, like never walking through there, but then just you know, I got the the courage to just do it, and I walked through with my head held high, and and, and that like coat on. Oh, it made me so weepy. <laughs> I this that scene that conversation in particular was my favorite moment of the episode Mm -hmm. because i'm about to get real for a second like real world please apologize so if you look at my twitter recently you know most of it has been about the protests in iran and i haven't really been talking about star wars very much lately so this show has been like hard to watch for that reason because it's like fake rebellion and then real rebellion and like the the parallels so this scene with marva with her she has experienced let me back it up. She reminds me so much of my parents' generation, of the generation before, of the generation that remembers their country in Iran differently under a different government where they had freedoms that they don't have anymore. So for her to say, I couldn't go through the square because that's where this regime killed my husband. But now with one action somewhere else, with this one shred of hope that she doesn't know they're young people, but this one shred of hope that young people have given her has given her enough reason, enough heart, enough motivation to put on her nice coat and go to the source of this pain with a smile on her face because she knows it's going to be different now. Had 
there's no way they could have known the parallel that they'd be drawing when they made this. But it is so close to like, you see if it is like grandmothers out there calling for the regime to fall and like parents and older people who are like, that's it. We're taking our, our country back. We're taking our lives back. We're taking our freedoms back. And Marva in this episode is so emblematic to me of what that movement looks like to my, to my generation of like people going, we finally see our hope, our country again. Like it was just, I, my mind was blown by just that one scene. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. I'm really glad you said that. It was actually like right before you, when you were like, I'm going to get it real for a second. I was like, oh my God, Marvis, those older ladies that I've seen in interviews talking about how they feel comfortable removing their hijab because mm-hmm. of the younger, because of the younger girls who are fighting for their right not to wear their hijab. Yeah, um, that's exactly mandatory. Mandatory. All I could think. Yeah, the yeah. right to choose to wear it or not. Exactly, and, and they're like, "We're watching yeah. these younger kids do it. Maybe I can too." Um, and that is so that is so heartbreaking. And right, we we actually we brought up um, the protests in Iran a couple episodes ago when we were talking about. Um, I think it was when we were talking about how the. Um, how the Imperials had restricted movement into the sacred Valley for, um, Mm -hmm. for just like a handful of the Donnie people and how, when they finally get there and then they light the, you know, they set the goatskin on fire and they're protesting, protesting and dancing and protesting and singing and protesting. And it's all like linked together as part of this, like it's a celebration and it's a whole, it's a, you know, holy day for them, but also it's a protest for their freedoms and their rights to just exist as people. Um, We talked, yeah, we talked about this a little bit last week. I'm really glad you brought it up this week because again, as, because again, how could they have possibly known that this was going to be so relevant as it is right now? There's no way they they, this show like two years ago. Yeah, it's not even that it's just airing in the same year. It's happening concurrently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess they, that's that's the cycle of of humanity. Like, there's almost always it, something like this going on somewhere. Exactly, exactly. It's always going to be relevant. It's always going so long as there are oppressors. So long as there are, so long as there's tyranny in the world, you're going to have people fighting against it. And so you know, in a this show could have come out any year in the last ever. <laughs> I was going to try and pick would have been like, yep. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of my people. Yeah. I yeah. was going to try and pick a decade, but honestly, I can't. Um, <laughs> it could have, it could come out, you know, a couple of years from now, or, you know, people will look back on it a couple of years from now and be like, whoa, that's like what's happening right now in my country. And um, because there's always going to be, tyranny there's always going to be evil but there's always 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 going to people going to be people stepping up to fight against it that's just like who we are as people as humans i guess the only thing left to do is talk about um we can talk uh quickly about this final scene on uh on niamos 
Yes. The um the Florida planet that Cassian <laughs> ends up on. <laughs> Cassian booked it to Miami Beach and he's like, Yep, that's where I'm gonna be. He so did. He so did. And then immediately got himself a beautiful woman. And have you seen him? <laughs> I know, honestly. And she's like, go to the store and get me more stuff. <laughs> and, and he's like, okay, yeah, I'll go to the store and get you more stuff. And going to the store, just oh my gosh. And talk about like relevant and current events and stuff that is like relevant to our world. He goes to he tries to go to the store and ends up in the wrong place in the wrong time. And ends up being assaulted by security and sentenced to six years in prison. Yep. Like, what? <laughs> um, what a wild turn of events. I mean, it makes perfect sense when you consider who the Imperials are. Something I noticed on my second go around with um, this scene. He's like walking along the beach and the, you know, the, the other guy that they're actually chasing runs past him. And for half a second, I was like, oh, he looks like Cassian. And I realized like, they have the same haircut. Oh. And that's about it. Yeah. Whether or not they caught him, they look similar enough to somebody who doesn't care that that is excuse enough to arrest him. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm like, Just p- bearing a passing resemblance to somebody that's on a wanted poster, right? We've seen yeah. it all over American media and all over American news that this is just the kind of thing. Oh, well, we thought that you looked suspicious. You fit the description of somebody that we were looking for. And like there it is roughly the same height, same complexion, same haircut, not the same person, Mm -hmm. not even the same color clothes. Like the guy was wearing blue, but but that was enough. That was enough for them to arrest him. Mm -hmm. Gets a, yep. Gets assaulted by security. I have a really hard time with the fact that that, uh, that KX unit um, heard the word hang and was like, yep. (laughs) Like, (laughs) That they're so literal. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like that feels like a very liberal interpretation. Because I feel like when they program them with language, like they they program them with a certain degree of understanding of like idioms and stuff like that. If they're gonna make them capable of communicating back. Yeah, or so they like, should. <laughs> you would think. So I feel like this one chose to interpret it that way. Yeah, which kind of makes me think that we're getting it, that we're finally, that we're finally going to be introduced to our very good friend K2SO, hopefully soon. We got these Imperial security droids in. I gripped my husband's hand with the full force of my being as soon as the KX unit (laughs) stepped into frame. I was like, oh my God, it's K, he's here. (laughs) And I read the comic the the comic strip where uh, Cassian and K2 meet where he uh the first time he deprograms K2SO. Um so I know how I know how in the comics at least they meet. I don't know if they're going to change that for the show. Um but I have a feeling it's going to be some it's going to have something to do with how he gets out of prison cuz he's now sentenced to 6 years in jail. Um yeah. and he's not obviously not going to serve that full sentence because that would take us past Past. that would take us into into the full rebellion so it's not gonna he's not gonna be in there for long hopefully he gets out with the help of a very cool kx unit um that he reprograms to be a sarcastic know-it-all like k2so (laughs) well clearly the sarcasm is already in there (laughs) yes the um yes the the yes there was something about the taking the word hang extremely literally um and 
Um, uh, and also K2 just saying whatever comes into his mind, into his circuits, no filter on him, kind of feels like a related, like maybe that's the, that is the part of the, um, of the, the uh, programming that Cassian was not able to fully <laughs> get rid of. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was like a really hard, that was scene was really, really hard to watch. That was, um, that was really, really it was tricky. Scary. Like not, not with casting because casting we know is going to be fine, but the other KX unit, like on the other side of the little wall. Yeah. Apprehending those two other guys, like the way one guy ran and he just snatched him out of the air. That was genuinely very scary. It was super scary. Um, cause we know those, we know those KX units are super strong mm-hmm. and bred for absolute destruction. Um, and those are just the casual security droids they're using on a tourist planet. Like, which I think that's a lot. It really juxtaposes how violent that is. Because, you know, we, we just saw them take a whole Imperial base. But somehow, like, this KX unit just grabbing a tourist and, like, throwing him to the ground felt a lot more violent. Because, first of all, the tourists did not wake up that morning thinking that this was going to happen. Whereas everybody at the base sort of low-key anticipates something like this. Mm-hmm. Um that and then the fact that the rest of the surrounding is like you've got the water and the palm trees and the sand and there's music playing and like it's all very charming and then you've got a kx unit like slamming a couple of guys into the concrete exactly just, it's such a jarring visual it's exact exactly and it's a um it's i guess the the actual physical like we are watching the fallout of what happened on aldani right they're like we're going to beef up security everywhere we're going to crack down on crime we're going to we're going to do all of these things uh because aldani happened and cassian's caught in it <laughs> he yes of course he's responsible for aldani but also like this crime he didn't do um <laughs> and he's caught in it um just i like that they're right for arresting him but they're arresting him for the wrong reason and under the wrong name and uh, like it's not so... that i think they should be arresting him like obviously i'm supporting the rebels no. but like of course of course he committed a crime that is arrestable but they just arrested him for something else entirely yeah for for nothing <laughs> they just yeah. happened to catch the guy that they've been looking for which is wild <laughs> um and I guess it is what happens when you beef up security everywhere and start yeah. arresting and charging people for literally nothing. Um, I, like, I guess you catch the catch a few fish in that net that are meant to be caught. <laughs> like Cassian. <laughs> again, not that I want him to be caught, but then again, know. if he stays in jail for six years, he gets to live longer. <laughs> he does. I'm gonna write an AU uh, fan fiction. Uh, Cassian s- serves out his six-year sentence and gets out and is like, what did I miss? <laughs> like, so the Death Star blew up. What's He's a like, Death Star? <laughs> I don't trust Perrin, but I feel like that's not new. <laughs> I feel like he sent Leda. Is that the problem? Yeah. Oh, yes. I feel like he sent her over to suss out what they were talking about. Yes. He also, I had, I had a feeling he was doing that. And and the way that he did it had to have been, um, well, I think you can be excused from the party, but you got to ask your mother, you know, like mm-hmm. he's doing that classic thing that parents do when they don't want the responsibility of being the bad guy parent. They'd say, no, well, I think you should be allowed to go on a class field trip, but you got to ask your mother. Said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then puts all of it on the mom. 
it's a classic thing it happens all the time yeah when one parent wants to be the cool parent um and that's so parent so he's like he's like oh yeah i'm send him over send my kid over to mon um under the guise of go maybe. ask your mother maybe. excuse and then but maybe if my daughter happens to overhear something maybe you might follow up with her next week and be like so what was because this like tay guy is trying to take advantage of your mother and what were they talking about and yeah yeah i think yeah i think um perrin and uh and their daughter um yeah i think it's lita um i have it it sounds like leia but it's not leia oh leda leda yeah yeah, yeah perrin and leda seem to be closer than mon and leda um mm-hmm. And it's direct manipulation from Perrin because he's an awful person. Um, And yeah, I think, yeah, he's suspicious. But I don't know if he's political suspicious or my wife's having an affair suspicious. Little both. I just love that Mon Mothma keeps accidentally ending up in the middle of uh, fake affair scandals. It's my favorite thing. And I hope I, God, I, we're on Baylor going to watch over here. Yes. Um, over here at Rogue Fun, we are on Baylor going to watch. Um, we were hoping that he would make an appearance this episode. We are still rooting for Jimmy Smith to roll up our hero. Um, I need them to do the thing with where Mon Mothma and Baylor Ghana are um, suspected of having an affair so that they can spend more time together. I need I- it. Listen, this season we know is all taking place over the course of the year, but next season they're jumping a year every three episodes. Mm-hmm. There is room because we're like we're about a year out from the affair dinner. So season two, yes, is the right time for us to have that scene. And like, I'm not a fan of adapting the books because then it becomes a which one is the accurate one. But if we want to just have that scene, just the scene, or maybe just whispers around oh i heard about you know this i heard I like from other you know, you people know. or like luthan's being like hey mom mothma i heard you were uh mm. what did tarkin say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i would just love that so much i just that's my, like one of my favorite scenes in the books because it is so chaotic <laughs> i would love to see it on the big screen just genevieve o'reilly and uh, jimmy smith's just yelling at each other like that it would be so good I want and uh, oh god, and Simone Kessel involved. Get her in there. Yes, yes, yeah. it, yes. It'll it'll be great. Um, there's so much more to come. Any speculations on what you think we're going to get next episode? I think next episode is Cassian formulating the plan for his jailbreak, and the episode mm-hmm. after that is the jailbreak. Okay, yeah. If that we're makes following sense. the three episode beat, yes, going to happen. Yes, we have been doing nice, neat little three episode beats which feel like individual star wars movies we are so blessed we really are it's so neat and tidy i I love a good tidy story arc yes it's so tidy yes three episodes at a time they're not dragging it out over too long of a there's no i said on twitter yesterday that i can't or i guess this morning (laughs) um that i can't believe that like how the pacing of each mm-hmm. of these episodes has been. We sit down to watch it and then all of a sudden it's over. We watched it one o'clock in the morning yesterday <laughs> or today. And um, it's 1 a.m. and we're like, oh, I guess we can go to sleep. Oh, but we should watch Andor before bed. Oh, I don't know oh, if I'm going to make it. I'm getting kind of tired. Boom, it's over. Like, 
they don't feel like an hour they really they don't don't they don't they're so fast and um, i like that like it does delightful. have the the season long arcs that we're trying to follow but the three episodes it's like a self-contained story fulfilling this one big arc and i'm like yes pacing exactly. thank you exactly exactly and we're so lucky yeah too that we're yeah with 12 whole episodes we're getting mm-hmm. four of these little mini arcs we're i just i can't i can't think of anything better <laughs> i'm having the best time this is the best show i guess that's it thank you so much for thank coming you. on the show um i'm so excited to continue talking about the show i hope you come back for a later episode I um, anytime. Oh, you, you are always invited. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners where they can find you online? Okay. So the best place to find me is on Twitter. I am at Arzu Amin. Um, I host Space Waffles on the Geeky Waffle Network right now. We are doing Andor the Relentless. Um, our <laughs> our space waffle, our space waffles, our Andor recap show. Um, I pop up all over the place on the Geeky Waffle, like on our other shows. I'm on the website. I write over there. Um, for all that we are in Andor land now, it is still Kenobi Party over on my site, rzud2.com. I'm still reading the Jedi Apprentice books. <laughs> so almost done. Getting into the tragic romance arc now, which is exciting. Um, so you can check that out too. And yeah. And everything I just mentioned, all that stuff is in my Twitter bio. Awesome. I'll link all of that in the show notes. Um, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok. I am at Alice White THP for those happy places. Those happy places is our flagship show. Uh, we talk about theme parks, rides, and attractions and why they're important and should be considered like literature. If that sounds interesting to you, you can find that and all of our other shows at thosehappyplaces.com. You can also support this show and all of our other projects over at patreon.com slash those happy places. You'll find bonus mini episodes and blog posts and all kinds of fun little additional content. Uh, recently revamped Patreon with new tiers, so go and check it out if you haven't recently. Uh, if you can't support the show monetarily, we appreciate a shout out on Twitter. The show's Twitter is at RogueFunPod. And uh, we're just happy to have you. So thank you for all for listening. Rogue Fun. Pulling away. May the force be with you.